first question that I wrote on this was, I heard you have over 150 plants. Are you okay? (laughs) Y'all, welcome back to the Thank You Places podcast. I'm your host, Emily Faith, and I have been a little MIA. And when I sat down to record this, I realized that the reason I've been a little um, out of touch and I haven't been putting episodes out is because of this interview with Austin Ryan Hunt. So Austin is a Chicago-based actor, choreographer, multi-passionate theater and performance artist, amongst other things. He also really champions mental health in this industry and is becoming a wizard on money and how to support yourself financially and how to navigate that as an artist because I think there's a lot of money mindset issues that come up as a performer, whether it's like we have to make money as a marker of our success and professionalism, or if we don't make money, then what we're doing is not worthwhile or legitimate and kind of navigating that. So it's been great to talk to him about all of those things and more, but the big but is I realized that I had to lay down the chip on my shoulder that has been in probably every single episode before this around theater. I think it's so important to name and call out and hold accountable the harmful parts of this industry and that so many people have experienced, right? Like in all of these interviews, people have expressed harm that has been done to them by either neglect or intentionality of this field um, and just some like bad practices. And so I have been coming to these interviews from that lens of like anger and disappointment and grief. And through talking to Austin, I was reminded how much I love theater, how much I believe in performing how much I love directing, how much I love witnessing folks um, create something and and offer it to their community. And so this is my like official statement that I'm laying down the chip on my shoulder. I still believe um, I will be uh, holding folks accountable and myself included, but laying off the chip on my shoulder to really like sink into the parts of theater and performance that we love because I think the reason there's so much grief for me is because I love it so much and I miss it so much and I don't quite know how to be involved in a way that doesn't feel harmful for me. Um, So that's what I got out of Austin um, talking with Austin Ryan Hunt. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Like I said, we talk about money and navigating kind of our mindset and our feelings around it when it comes to being a performer. We talk about tenacity in this field and what does that mean, especially in the kind of like culture that we have, like the hustle culture that sometimes the theater does require of you. And how do you balance that with having really strong mental health practices? So please take a listen. Welcome, Austin Ryan Hunt. Hi, Austin. Hey. <laughs> um, do you know like what my memories of you are? I mean, I could maybe guess a few of them. <laughs> guess. Okay. My well, my most like favorite memories of you are are always you dancing because you 
you and I were in the same program. Yeah. For those of you who can't see this right now, Austin just looked at me like, <laughs> I didn't they can't see you do that. <laughs> but that's because we're like a somatically based artist. Um, that mouth was open, head cocked to the side. Um, but it was, it was because we were in a program where dance at the time was not like a, a heavy focus. And I remember I was there a year before you. And then I remember you came in and you were like, we got to dance. Like we got to dance. This is what I'm here for. And you really, um, advocated for that. And you really were such a leader in that way. And I remember being just so unbelievably impressed by your drive, but what dancers have, I think a little bit better than maybe, uh, actors. I know you're an actor as well, but go with me here is this sense of discipline that I think actors, um, early, like before we go to college or even during college, it feels a little loosey goosey, but you came in with like this real drive and this real discipline that I thought was so respectable. And I actually don't know much about your dance history before that time. Had you been taking dance classes? Like what, how'd you get here? I hadn't danced before college. What? Yeah. Like I got there and like, I was told like they were developing a dance minor and I was like, I'm going to graduate with a dance minor because like I got into theater through singing through church and then theater got me into like choir got me into like theater, musical theater. Right. And then from that I found dance, but it wasn't until like late my senior year of high school where I was like, Oh wait, I'm able to like hear things and say things with my body in a way that I can't with, other like words or like things like that you know so um it was the summer before I got to college I uh took some dance classes at a studio down here downtown in Chicago actually I would drive in from the burbs where my parents were living um but otherwise no I was just like hungry for it and I wanted it and this is shocking to me because you came in with a, a skill level that you would have assumed that you'd been dancing longer well, thank you. No, you're welcome. I'm just, I'm just like totally flabbergasted here. That was not because you also picked up tap so easily then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, we annoying. had a, we had a great instructor. Justin was a, is a great tap yeah. teacher. Like there's a yeah. difference between a great tapper and a great tap teacher. He is both. Yeah. So I'm really thankful for that. And he kind of took me under his wing in that way, but um, no, both like dance and tap dance, like, I put them in two separate boats because they are so like tap dancing to me is almost more like drumming than it is dance. You know, you can incorporate if you're doing it on stage, you know, Broadway style dancing stuff. But um, yeah, they both, they both let me, they like move me and I don't mean physically in a way that nothing else does. So yeah. What a gift. What like, do you run into any sort of, um, I don't know, I don't like the word imposter syndrome because I don't really think it's accurate, but like in your journey where you kind of like, oh shit, I'm running into these people who are like, I'm a dancer and have some rub there with them or has it been easy going? Oh no, it's not been easy going. Like, <laughs> like I, <laughs> of course not. Like I got to this point where, um, not got to this point. I'm at this point now where I'm realizing uh, 
like it's all just community theater a little bit like no one knows what they're doing like the people who are like on Broadway dancing directing acting or whatever like they aren't an expert at like you can't really be an expert at art but like they don't hold the keys to the kingdom any more than like talented artists who don't have as much money to play with you know um that's like where I've gotten to and it's taken a lot of um what has seemed in my journey of like me being like oh I'm a dancer I can do that and then like not booking good not but like getting cut from a dance call and cut from a dance call and cut from a dance call and me being like these were like the four shows I was supposed to book this year and I got cut first try in the dance call so am I not a dancer like what does that mean like you know and luckily I've always been able to see oh those were not the projects for me because this thing was coming you know um but as far as like imposter syndrome yeah all the time and it's um it's a real trick to get around proving to other people that you can do your art to just be able to do it you know like to show up at an audition and not say let me show you why I belong in the show but to show up and say this is what I do like I'm not going to pretend to do anything different because I'm not going to pretend the whole rehearsal process to do something different either like this is what I do this is the exact level I do it at next you know yeah. like that and that's such that that was such a difficult place and I think that's a continual journey you know like um and it just takes a lot of ups and downs and knowing you're going to go through the ups and downs you're going to have the rejections you're going to have the times that are really good and being able to look back with a lens of oh the times that were bad weren't quite so bad and the times that were good like I need to give myself like a little bit more credit for you know Absolutely. And for the listeners out there, Austin's also featured on another podcast uh, of someone that we went to school with called This Is Temporary Podcast. It's uh, Lacey Hartzell. She's also an actor. And Austin, you said on there something, I wrote it down because I thought it was really powerful. Um, When we look back, it is a testament to how much I've grown, not my own failure. Mm -hmm. Do you remember saying that? I do. You're like, that was really smart. (laughs) No, because I'm like, whenever I like talk to people like this, I like always end up saying stuff. And I'm like, that's so funny how like, I just actually gave out the exact advice I need to hear. Like funny how I have all the answers. And it's like, oh, I would thought I was giving you advice, but that's actually like what I need to hear. And it's like being willing to look back and go, I mean, you and I were just talking about like doing these podcasts and you're getting better and better with each one. And so like, if you have a bunch of them banked, it's hard to, but it's like, look how fast you're growing. It, look how it, quickly you're realizing that, you know? Well, that's, I was just talking to my boyfriend about this yesterday. Cause I get really, um, it's a full moon tonight. So I think like I have a lot of passion that's <laughs> happening, but I get really passionate about people getting in their own way. And this is like a, a soapbox that I need to often hear myself, but I feel like mm. when people look at, um, I've been getting feedback lately. That's like, you're confident, Emily. How are you so confident or how, like not to, t- this is like literally what people are saying to me. Yeah. And I was like, let me sit with that for a moment. And what I, what I think I don't have any fear about just start, like, just do it. Like 
just do it. And I think that is the theater background. Like we're just going to try, we're just going to try something. But I think what really, really helps me is looking back. I don't have to look back. And I would say nobody does 10 years, five years, five months. Like I can look back in the past two months and go, okay, I showed up for myself consistently. Um, I took rest when I need to take rest, but in two months, look how much growth has happened just by showing up. And maybe that is like the secret sauce for you was as a dancer going like, well, I know I want to do this and I'm just going to go take classes and I'm going to keep studying it. And then I, I, I don't think that getting good at something is, is it's not easy, but I don't think it's as hard as we sometimes let ourselves think. And I think because I came to dance so late, a lot of um, like Western dance is very based in like ballet and being perfect and technique. And so like I came to dance so I was like 18. Like, so I didn't, there was no chance of me ever having a like perfect technique. So, um, but that was like never my goal. And I also knew like the places I was training, I wasn't training to get perfect technique, you know, like I was training to be able to use my instrument better. And I, that's like more looking back now, my focus was more of like, I want to be able to do this more, better, more effectively, you know, and like not necessarily strive for the perfection that like going to a ballet class can and did do for me, you know, like going to those classes and trying to get that technique. In my research of you before this podcast, I was finding myself curious about like your self-acceptance when it comes to your, your drive. I know in um, some other podcasts you talked, Lacey's podcast, I, I don't know why I'm being vague about what podcast it was, it was Lacey's podcast. Um, there's two episodes. I listened to them. Um, you were talking about like this, uh, like kind of like a sense of perfectionism or drive or people being like, are you okay? Because you are very motivated. And um, something that I have kind of grown into the past couple of years is going like, yeah, I can check when that becomes unhealthy. But a part of this is like who I am and I'm not going to let other people's um, opinion of my motivation stop me from being motivated. And so I'm curious about like your journey with accepting parts of yourself that, that are driven and that are disciplined. Yeah. Um, I, so pre COVID I had even been in therapy for like two, a year and a half, like two years. Um, I did a actor training program at Steppenwolf in 2018 and it was incredible. And I learned so much, but I came out of it and I was like, oh, there's a lot that like, I don't even like know about myself. You know, it's like, as an actor, how do I motivate a character if I don't know what like activates and motivates me? So I'd been in therapy for a while and like the pandemic hit, which like forced everyone to stop and slow down a little bit at least. Right. Um, so like pre, but pre-pandemic Austin, very type a very like I have to have it all figured out like I had a plan for when I like every meal I was going to eat like I would I knew I could like come home like start the water to boil and then like shower put the pasta in to boil and then start the wash and then like get the you know like I was spitting everything in um which I would I was talking to Lacey about how that was like a function of distracting me you know and then with the the pandemic really forced me to slow down and I moved um in with my family in Alabama so I had 
nothing to do, you know? And it really, something I've been working through now is coming back to a place that's now functional for the life I want to live, right? So like, I could have stayed in Alabama forever. But, you know, with very low effort, um, which is like the other swing of the pendulum from like the really, from like all of the work, right? Working really hard, working yourself into the ground, not letting yourself have fun all the way over to that. And like, I'm working on like letting that pendulum kind of find the balance that it needs to right now. Um, So a lot of the motivation now gets the motivation used to say work 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 don't miss it make sure you're prepared right and then it still says that to me but then there's the part of me that's like the artist and knowing the work I've done the work I do people's opinions about me working with me in a good way right like that I don't have to effort as much because I'm trying to think how to phrase it. Like, I don't have to effort as much to make things happen because I've been doing that work. Right. So I've been like having this thing lately where I haven't done anything for like six weeks, like haven't done, like finished a a film intensive, a four week long film intensive, went on vacation for a week and haven't done anything. And I like emails I need to send. And I've been like, I don't know why, but every time I sit down to write this email, there is just something inside me that says, don't send it, don't do it, right? So it's me, it's listening to that part of me and trusting that and trusting that there's a reason behind that that's bigger than me. But I have to listen versus like the part of me that's like, no, you have to do it. You have to make money. You have to make connections, you know? And it's learning to say, I've done that. I've done that work. Like that motivation is still driving me, but it's, um, I love plants. So it's a lot like plants, right? It's like you, you see a, a piece of land, you're like, I'm gonna turn it into a garden. You have to like till it, you have to work it, add nutrients. You know, sometimes you have to grow different things to pull stuff out, right? right? Um, and then you like plant your seeds and you water it and you tend to the garden, but like you can't keep tilling up the ground. Like you can't keep doing that same hard work because it then becomes counterproductive. So it's trusting that and trusting that if I'm listening to myself and doing what I know and trust is the right thing, like the universe is going to take care of me and bring me the things that I need and let me harvest when it's time, you know, and there'll be times where it feels like it's not time to harvest and it'll feel times where like time to eat, you know? Absolutely. I love that metaphor. I um, am a little bit of a witch. And so I operate, I would say like the past three years now, I can really see going like, okay, I am so dormant in the winter. And I used to feel very, very bad or like something's wrong with me. And I have seasonal depression, but like, I really shamed. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Same. I really shame myself for my lack of um, motivation, uh, desire for drive. And even like my desire to connect with other people is really low during that time. And I think the past few years I've gone like, Oh, that's just natural for me because it all, I always like hit April. 
ideas start coming. And then summer is like a really great time for me. And then fall is where I'm executing. And then Mm -hmm. winter I rest again and start like, I think to speak to what you were saying about like giving yourself the space and time to hear actually what you need and listen to yourself in a way that I just don't think your early twenties as a performance artist are even set up to be. And maybe, you know, maybe they shouldn't be, maybe that is the time to like hustle the hell out of your life and run yourself into the ground. I don't know. Um, because for both of us, like, like it's worked out. Yeah. It has, but <laughs> when tell no one to do what I did, but I look around and I go like, well, okay. Like hustling and sending emails and going to coffees and like volunteering to do this and working every theater job that I could think of has made it where I can be 30 years old and go like, Oh, I know people all over the, like I can, things can go easily now. And it also gives you the confidence of I've done it. I can go back to it, but like, I don't have to put up with stuff. Like I don't have to do what I don't want to. I don't have to do. I tell everyone like, don't do what you want. Just do what you want. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Do what you want. (laughs) That has my, my theme for this year has just been like fun. Like the, the amount of fun that I have, I'm going to get emotional. I've withheld from myself in an effort to like create a future that will be better for me. Like I'm not going to go out because I want to spend that money on a voice lesson, you know, or like, I'm not going to go on vacation because what if there's a callback during that time, you know, like all of these things I've sacrificed in like an effort to build a future. Right. And like, I just got to a point where I was like, but when do I start allowing myself to have fun? Like, at what point do I decide to like turn the hustle off and not like, not coast, but like literally in the airplane, turn the engine off, no effort required, you know, like when do I, when do I let myself do that? And so now the place I think I'm in is like, how do I build a life that is not dependent on me being validated by someone paying me to do work. That is still fun. That's a hard one. It's a hard one. I don't know the answer. That's like the scary question that I'm like looking at right now, but that feels like, Oh, if I can figure that out, is that like, that's then that's what I have to do. Like if I, how do I, how do I build that life? If I have work that pay art, you know, directing work or acting work or something that that pays great let me add that to my life but how do I create a life that is not dependent on that I have like not popular opinions about this but it's only because I'm in a current financial position to have this opinion which is that I, I mean, I'm in Dallas, so like it's a different market for sure. And I am so out of the theater bubble in like the most wonderful, like I just look at it now and I go, what did I mm-hmm. care so much for? It's a, it's a weird place being out of it. And the shame I will give myself sometimes be like, well, you know, I always looked at people who stopped doing theater, who got out of the bubble and was like, well, you just couldn't hack it. Like they just weren't funny? good enough. Right. But now that I'm out of it, I'm going like, number one, I don't want to be in that. And two, <laughs> now that I have a job that's like certainly adjacent, um, as a drama therapist and 
I still do the, like, I still do theater and we are produce shows and I can do things for free, but not because, not because, um, I'm trying to, okay, I'm going to do this for free as a sacrifice, or I'm going to do this for free. So like, they just meet me for who I am. It's it's, I am choosing to do this for free because this is where I want to be and the people who I want to be with. And this is going to be fun and it's going to be low pressure. And my artist is just going to get to like play and delight in what I'm doing. And I certainly think that can happen in the professional setting. And I've had those experiences, but, uh, where I am now is going like, okay, I, I paid $130 a month to go take a pottery class. Like I loved doing a pottery class. I paid to go rock climbing. I paid my gym membership, but these are things that I enjoy to do that I pay to do. I'm not saying pay to play. Uh, This is the unpopular part, but I am saying like, if I want to go do a fucking show for free because it's fun for me and, or I want to put on a show and say like, Hey, actors, like there's no money in this because we're just rental space is crazy right now. Um, there is a lot of backlash and I do think artists should be paid like mm-hmm. period, but there's a group of us who are between 28 and 35 who have full-time jobs as mm-hmm. bankers or therapists or whatever we do that we don't need the money to have the fun. So when yeah. you're like at the beginning, when you're like, I kind of think it all is community theater. I'm like, yes. And that's okay. That's I my remember, opinion. I remember when, um, actually that's going, that's going in a different direction. Um, no, I think there's huge value to that because like, it's funny that we like go to theater school for like the pursuit of like three different jobs, basically like either acting, directing or designing by at some part or like organizing that. And like the truth of the matter is that is such a small part of what makes up theater. That's a big part of the industry. But like my therapist and I talk all the time about how life is just like a game of improv, you know? And like what it takes to get out of your own head and just be present with someone. Or like, what do you do when your scene is tanking? Like, what do you do when your life is tanking and you're like, there's no way out of this, you know? Like, the fact that, like, your lifeboat is, like, your scene partner, like, your connection. Like, as long as you're honest there, it's like you can, you know, the the the, the wave of the scene will come. So, um, like, what you're talking about, you're able to do is you're able to do theater stuff that is not necessarily for profit, for... Like you're not a production house that's like trying to get butts in the seats for doing like doing Mamma Mia. I mean, are you? No, but we do like want to do an old person version of Spring Awakening. So, and by old, I mean I love the old version of Spring Awakening. <laughs> I love it because we um, want to because it's fun because it fills our soul. Yeah, and like who's that? I think that's like the life hack of getting into your thirties is like if you can figure out oh. All I have to do is like what I want to do and I don't have to do anything else. Like, like, like love Serena Williams, like recently announcing that she's like transitioning away from tennis and like people have all of these opinions, but I'm like, can you imagine the inner peace it takes to go, you know what? I know I basically invented the sport. So I'm going to take myself out of the talent pool. Y'all are welcome. 
because like I've, I've achieved it and I don't have to prove that to anyone anymore. I, I'm okay with that enough to say, I'm gonna move on to a life of peace, a life of ease, a life of something else I want to do. And if people are giving her hate for it, she doesn't care. She's moved on. Like it's them that are in it. It, It's them that are in it. And this, um, that's like, that's the bubble. That's the bubble. Um, it's like, who cares if you look like an idiot rolling down the hill, having fun, like you're having fun. Like, like, so my boyfriend, like very early on dating, um, we like found this big hill in Chicago and he like straight up like log rolled down the side of the hill. And I was like, who is this <laughs> man child? But like, and then I had this moment where I was like, why am I not letting myself have fun? Like, what is it that's keeping me from doing that? I'm like, well, it could be what there's like grass stains, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but what's more important, like having fun and being in the moment or like a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've been really envious. There's a group in town that's doing cabaret right now. And Mm. it was a guy who moved to New York and like, you know, tried his hand there, came back to Dallas. And it's all these dancers, like NYU dancer people Mm. who have now, like after a decade, come back to town too. And they're, it's just like the audacity to be like, we're going to do cabaret and we're going to do, we're going to like apply for all these grants and we're going to just ask like, you know, our like Tony award-winning house in town, like, do you, can y'all give us costumes? And they did like all of these things. They just, because I think, I think it's because they weren't in the bubble. They had the audacity to say like, this is what we want to do because it's a fun project. Not because it's like going to change the world or because we have anything because to prove. I want to do it not because, because I want I need to, money, it, not because I need to prove I can do it, not to prove that I can book something like exactly. And I went to I'm doing like some artist support on the show and I went and I was like, this is the most relaxed ahead of schedule, <laughs> joyful, like just shocking and high quality thing where I, you know, I think I have my bias in my head where I go like, well, it's not going to be that good because, you know, X, Y, it's not at this house or this person isn't in it. And that's actually just not true at all. Austin, you've done the artist way. I love the artist way. And I'm in Julia Cameron's second book right now. And I love morning pages. Have you kept up with your morning pages after school? Um, They were actually integral to the first year out of school. Like I was living in Orlando. I didn't know anyone. Um, I was in an acting internship with the Orlando Shakespeare theater. Um, And like, I came to realize that they were an integral part of my day, just mostly as a brain dump to get stuff out of my head. Um, The to-do list that would constantly start, you know, forming in my head. Um, funny enough, the journal I did my morning pages in all during Orlando was actually given to me by Lacey. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's Um, amazing. Um, I still have it, but, uh, I don't do morning pages, um, anymore. What I, I have a morning routine that I've like intentionally built that, um, it involves a lot of just like looking at my plants and like sipping coffee, uh, (laughs) But I do have other ways um, of kind of connecting with myself, quieting myself to like 
the thing that always happened for me for morning pages is the um like the first page that I did was always mumble jumble, you know, like stuff I was worried about that I had to do basically. And then the second page was always other people's problems. And then by the bottom of page two, I didn't know what to write. And by the time I got to page three, I got to the stuff that like was actually what I needed to address. Um, So I found ways to find those three different outlets in like kind of three different ways in my life, you know? For anyone listening, I would highly recommend doing the artist way at least once. The one I'm working through right now is uh, called Walking in This World. And so it incorporates Mm. a walk into um, your weekly tasks as well. But I also found the morning pages, um, yeah, integral, 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 integral. I can't say that word to, to my insides, very important. And for me, I've always like got, I've gotten started on the artist way. And then I have so many ideas and dreams that come up from doing it, that it really jump starts and I don't finish the mm-hmm. book. And I, I like, I'm curious about those pages for you. Did you like, are there any big dreams in there that you've accomplished or like that you're still shooting for? Um, funnily enough, Oh, I don't know if I have it right here, but I recently came across um, another activity that was like Julia Cameron slash senior sim ish. And it was just like a one year plan, a 10 year plan, a five year plan, and a 10 year plan. So okay. that what that that came up for me like in 20, uh, 10 years will be 2025, I guess. Mm. I graduated school in 2015, college Did you in really? 2015. Yeah. You graduated in 13, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was just interesting to look at the things that I wanted to do, you know, in that amount of time and to look at them and go, oh, there's a lot of these that like, I, there's a few that I did. There's a few that I no longer, like, I realized I don't want to do that anymore. There's a lot of things that I was like, oh, I did something kind of better than that. Like, I didn't know to like dream that big, you know? Um I, I think my whole life has been so full of anxiety and just trying to like get through today, basically, mm-hmm. um, in general, that I haven't given myself like the freedom to like dream big about like, what could I do? Like write down the scary thing. Um, and like, that's the thing that keeps coming up now. It's like, what's the big dream? Like, what's the scary thing I want to do? So I need to spend some time with That's funny that you ask because I need to spend some time with that because so many times in my life I've seen where when I'm specific about something I want to do, it, it doesn't always lead to that thing, but it starts me down a path that leads me to the right place. If that makes sense. does make sense. Um, my friend Avery J always asks, what do you want? I'm going to ask you that. What do you want? I want a life of ease. Mm-hmm. That's what I want right now. And what that does for me is that allows me to then connect with others to help other people to be present enough in the moment to like help the person who's parallel parking, you know, be like, Hey, you got four feet in the back, like present enough to help people in that way. But also like the tools and the artistry to tell other people's story or to give up people a platform to tell their own story. Um, That for me is what I'm realizing is in order to serve the world in that way and helping people in that way, 
I have to take care of myself first, which is like the classic, you have to fill your own cup before you can help others, you know? But it's like realizing, oh, like it's important that I have like X amount of money in my savings account at all times. Not I'm because to not do that doesn't mean I don't trust the universe. What it is though, is it gives me the freedom like the, to release the anxiety basically to allow myself to, to dream of things. So what I want right now is just a life of, of ease that allows me to um, like serve and connect with others. Have you heard of uh, her first 100 K Tori? She um, is like a wealth, like a feminist lensed wealth expert, Mm. Um, but her background is theater, strangely enough. And she has a podcast, um, but she really confronts like kind of our, our negative stories or internalized money issues. Um, I'm reading um, Jen Sincero, You're a Badass at Making Money. Yeah. The green book. That one's the green book. Yep. Yeah. And I think. There is, um, there was a lot for me to unpack. And I mean, even in the world of therapy and going like, well, you really shouldn't make money doing that. Or the story that we're told as artists, which is like, you can't make money doing, you won't be making money doing that. So like, or you're a sellout if you make money. Or you're a sellout. If you do make money, like if God forbid you go to LA and like get on a show and (laughs) make more money. God forbid you're in a Broadway production. That's one of the millions of movie to Broadway, you know. Right. Austin, what has been like the most unexpected part of your journey as an artist? The realization that like, mm, let me back up. The realization that all of like the wonderful, great things that have happened in my life, professionally, but also just like in life, have never been of like my own making, like my own doing, like they have never been because I have set a plan in place that has gone out, gone like so well, you know? Um, I've always had a different dream maybe, you know, and it, it, and it led me somewhere, but uh, the realization that like, I'm, I'm serving the universe in a way that the universe is like receptive to. And like my, my, um, my therapist says like the universe like co-conspires with us, mm-hmm. you know, and that uh, I have to, I still have to put in the effort, you know, where it's needed at this point. Cause I did a lot of efforting as a young artist. Right. But just realizing that the, the things that I want, that I actually want to do, there'll be a certain amount of ease that comes to them. You know, I spent so long feeling like I had to fit in or I had to be prepared. I had to have a book with this many different types of songs, you know, and like to be able to like jump in and prove myself at any moment. um, And just realizing like, actually I'm most powerful when I just sit back and I am myself and the effort of just being yourself is enough. I think that's why I always resonated with Meisner type acting training because it felt a lot less heady and putting something on that you weren't or trying to be different than you who are. It's not acting. It's just being a human. And it's something that none of us learn how to do. It's like, like we don't like, we are so in our heads that you can't look at someone and just name 
five physical things you see when you look at them because we're too bit without without pre-planning them you know because we're so in our head and that's all acting is is it's it's telling your brain okay this is an imaginary circumstance you got it like log out of everything else and just be present that's yeah, all it is but, it's so, like... but th- that's what therapy is it's just being able to connect with someone in that way like it's all about connection it's all that's all it is about that's all it's about. And, um, I think that's why getting kind of out of my own theater bubble was so healthy for me because I felt I did not have community and, and, and certainly people find it, but like, I was not finding community that begot connection. It was a lot of dissonance. It was a lot of disconnection. And, and I wonder if like, that's a little bit different now, like as we all have gotten older, but certainly like musical theater, 22, 23, 24 year olds, you know, seven years ago, it it wasn't like, it all, it all revolves around the career. Like even friendships revolve around the career. So if you leave that theater bubble, like you're also leaving all of your friends and your identity is so wrapped up in it. I do have a dream of like just living on a farm, but like a farm in the woods somehow with chickens Mm. and just like total um, ease and isolation. But I want to go back to, to that point. Like, are you, is it your hope to find ease and fulfillment and joy and play and love, like while still maintaining, um, you know, a foot in this industry? Oh, for sure. I think I'll always, I think I'll always be creating art in some sense, you know, whether it's, uh, like just going to see my friends like dress rehearsal of their like one person show and giving them some feedback, you know, or um, I'm, I'm less concerned right now with having to figure it out. I'm, I'm just like, I don't know. And like, I think that's something the pandemic taught me is like, I can invest as much as I want in the future and the whole industry can be gone like in a day, like literally. Um, we were going into tech of a show and having to call all my actors and say like I was in the middle of a run of a show we had a show that morning we are in the middle of a put-in rehearsal for a show that afternoon that evening and the producers walked down the aisle and they're like we're closing we don't know if we have a show tonight we had actors who were from New York who were they were like we're flying you home like it was wild but it really taught me how do I create a life that's fulfilling, you know? And it's like, yes, my life is always going to include art in some, in some form, right? Because that is such a fulfilling part of my life. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that also fulfill me outside of that. As far as like, yes, I hope my life of ease includes being like massively overpaid to direct things yeah. and to <laughs> act in things. Because that's how it has to, that's how it happens. Unfortunately, that like, the wealth inequality within the industry even is millions of dollars for movies or, you know, you're getting SAG minimum if it's a SAG gig, you know? Um, but realizing that if not, if like, if someone else, then why not me? But also like all of the, all the good things I can do with that then too. The Tory lady I was talking about earlier, she on a podcast was recently talking about capitalism and like, she's like, I'm not trying to beat capital, like we're all kind of in the game of capitalism. She's like, I'm not trying to beat it, but I'm also not trying to lose either. And 
what I want to do with my like intelligence around like her literacy around wealth is to be able to be in a position to change systems differently than Mm -hmm. she can, than she could before. And so, um, that, you know, we were kind of talking a little bit earlier about wonky feelings around money, but I think that has been something that has stuck with me for the past couple of weeks and going like, okay, like what is the good, you can be a bad person and have a lot of money. You can be a bad person and be poor. You can be a rich person, uh, and be a great person. And you can be a rich person, be a shitty, like you get to choose a little bit. Um, and it goes back to, I think, like, I can't care what other people think about my financial situation or my selling out or quitting yeah, because, or giving up. Because if you're happy, like jokes on them, they're not. Like if, they're concer- like if someone's concerned about whether or not you're happy or whether or not you deserve the life you have, like if you've worked hard enough for it or not, like it's like, oh, what are you jealous about? Like you're upset because you're overworking or you're upset because you're overpaid. It's not like that's on you. That's not, that's not on me. So that's like, if, you, if you're too busy concerned about my life, your life can't be that exciting, but mine is. So I can't be concerned about you. Bye. Yeah. And it's, I think that's so, that's been so hard for me to unlearn because we, I think the industry that I, that we grew up in was so you had to be so concerned with that, what other people's perception of you was. That's like an unbelievably hard thing to unlearn. Well, like the whole screwed up thing about the industry is like, no matter what, there's going to be like things you can't control. Like they're going to cast people, you're going to walk in and there's not going to be enough time to see everyone. So they're going to ask everyone to stand up. And if you're over this height, they're going to send you home or they're going to ask everyone to belt a high E. And if you can't do it, you know, like all of this stuff, it's like this checklist of things I have to constantly be able to do. And at the end, like full circle coming around to it, I'm like, oh, cool. So I just need to be in the rooms that are geared towards who I am, not changing who I, not changing who I am to, it's like, I'm not a great ballet dancer. So like, I'm not trying to book an American in Paris Broadway tour because heaven forbid, I I book it and then I'm underprepared. And the whole time I'm like, oh, I hope I'm doing this right. Like, no, like, so the biggest gift you asked earlier about surprises, right? Mm -hmm. Like unexpected parts. Yeah. The best things in my, the best things that happen to me are never my own doing. Right. But they happen because of step I take. So earlier this year, I understudied at Steppenwolf. It was a world premiere two-hander by Rajiv Joseph, who wrote gruesome playground injuries. Right. Um, The guy I was understudying was, is Chris Perfetti, who is, um, on Abbott Elementary, which is like taking off huge right now. The other guy in the show is the co-artistic director of Steppenwolf. So like huge stakes. I'm understudying this new show, right? I got that gig because I emailed the casting director to be seen for another show. They had just announced they were doing a show and it was going to be all ensemble members. Emailed the casting director and I was like, hey, here's an updated headshot and resume if there's any roles that are right for me for the seagull and you're seeing um, people to understudy for auditions, I would love to be seen, you know, emails me back. And he says, so funny. I was actually thinking you'd be great for the show we're about to do. I know your work. Well, no need to audition. Here's your offer. Oh my God. So like that being like something that the universe just brought to me massive, huge. Like I don't even, 
because I had worked with him before at school at Steppenwolf, you know, and in other places. So he knew me, but how freeing it was in the situation of being an understudy as well, where you're supposed to be emulating someone else's performance. The gift of knowing I didn't go into an audition and give them what they wanted to see. And now I'm in a position where I have to recreate that. That my old headspace would be like, okay, how do I redo what I did in the audition? The freedom of, no, I got cast because of who I am. Mm-hmm. Like I got cast because this character is like clothes that I wear. It's yes. not, it's not a suit when I don't live in that world, you know, not literally, but it's like, this is a character that walks in the clothes that I walk in, you know? So that was such a huge gift to me, the freedom of not having to, to prove that and live up to someone else's expectation of me because I just had the freedom to be like oh I can be me like I can just be that's how easy all of this is it's like great I'm gonna be in more rooms like this like I'm done trying to be all those other people like mm -mm." well and I think then you can like in my experience I can sleep at night a little better going like okay there was really nothing I showed up like as myself and so if I'm cool with that there was nothing else I could do like I that was all I could that's all I could do I had a turning point moment when I was living in Boston and I stopped wearing dresses to auditions. Mm. Like I wrote, I used to have a blog called, this is the thank you places podcast. But isn't that, but isn't that really screwed up that like, we're talking about the decision that you made to like not wear dresses to an audition anymore. Like the industry is that screwed up that we're going to be having this discussion. I know. Yeah. Yes. Um, I used to have a little blog called thank you five, where I would ask like mm-hmm. five questions back in the blog days. And, um, I wrote my own little one about like me wearing overalls to auditions. And I, that, um, that spring, like I got called back for everything that I auditioned for. I was booking things left and right. And it was, it was just that moment of like, I'm not wearing a dress and heels. I am showing up like, this is me. I'm going to wear overalls. I'm going to like, probably not wear a bra. Like this is who I am. And that was just, that changed everything for me in going, okay, this is who I am. And as so, I mean, I am looking at PhD programs and I'm already feeling that like shadow self though, come back and go like, okay, well, this is the body of work that has been done before. It's like, how can I make myself in alignment with that? And I had to catch myself and say, that is not, we have learned this lesson, girlfriend, like Mm -hmm. we've learned it. And Mm -hmm. so Um, I think sometimes that's hard, like lesson learning and then like, okay, and now keep, keep implementing what it is that you learned. But it's like this level of, um, I talk a lot about like the levels of like consciousness and competence Mm -hmm. and how it's like when you're learning before you start learning a new skill, you're like unconsciously incompetent. Like you don't know you suck. And then you start learning it. So you're consciously incompetent. You know that you're not good at it. And then you get good at it. And you're like, I'm good at this. I know it. So you become consciously competent. And then you, by the time you get to unconsciously competent, it's like, oh, I'm just doing this regular. It's, it's who I am. Right. So it's like, how do you live more in that space? And instead of trying, trying to prove that you're competent, it's like, how do you just, and the way that for me, the way that I continually do that is to trust myself because I'm always concerned for some reason about people taking me seriously and being a professional. And like, I just, at this point, I just have to be like, no, because like a 30 year old man doesn't do that. Like, 
And I also, let me let me just cold read my resume. That is pretty impressive. People and people know me relatively. They know yeah. how, how I am to work with. So I don't have anything to prove except how much I can be myself, how much fun I can go have. I'm that's so excited the, for you having fun. That's the trick for me. It's like, it's like, how do I, I went to this audition the other night and I was like, so nervous about it. And I knew that there was nothing to prepare the audit for the audition. They were like, it's Saturday afternoon in the town square farmer's market go with like a bunch of people. I knew it was going to be like that. But I was like, why am I nervous? I'm like, no, I don't, I want to go have fun. Like mm-hmm. I want to go have fun because if I go and have fun and I book it, that means I can have fun doing the work instead of trying to prove something the whole time or like be in that role and wishing I was actually doing something else. It's like, no, that's not that crucial. Like, what can I do to get out of my own head to not like everyone loves someone having fun. You know, it's like, it's why we love watching like improv scenes crash or like whose line is it anyway it's like we love it because they're having a blast we go with them you know and to what you were saying about like wearing overalls and just showing up as yourself it's addictive like people can see it and it's like that magic sauce and people are like why why was that person so interesting and the 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 turn for me has been people don't know what they want people Mm -hmm. will write in the character description this is this kind of person. And that is all based on the history of people they've seen. So just like traumatic past, like every person is a new person, like don't let the fear of the way other people have hurt you impact the way you're interacting with this person. Right. In the same way, like people are writing characters and they think they sound like this, but it's not till someone walks in as a full human wearing overalls that they're like, oh my God, that's the quirky thing about the character we didn't know. Like, is that she lives, she lives the life like this, but like she's at home in her overalls. That's it. That's it. I had a moment here in Dallas, probably I haven't auditioned for anything since like pre-pandemic. But I went into a call and I went in and I like did the cold, I think it was a cold read. Um, And it was like very Southern. And I had done Mm -hmm. that. And like, I feel like it was a really good audition. Um, you know, they're like, stick around. Okay, great. So I go, somebody else goes in and that person who's like a friend comes out. They're like, so weird. They had me like do the whole thing in a Southern accent. And they were like laughing the whole time, just so y'all know. And I was like, and then she ended up booking it. But that, go- <laughs> that goes to what you're saying is like, y- you, you really don't, there's so much, there's so much room for play. I, I have two, two questions are coming to mind and jump on whatever, um, feels most, um, spicy for you, but like one being a part of this conversation surprises me because you have a background in improvisation and also Shakespeare, which I think, um, is like very inherently playful. And then the second thing Mm -hmm. was, how do you think training programs do or do not prepare you for this, um, for being yourself Mm -hmm. and should they? I think that is an unfair burden to place just on the educa- the theater educational system. Like, I think that needs to start at preschool. Like, we need yeah. to teach people how to be humans and communicate better, you know? And yeah, like, you're like, it's too um, kind of late at 18 years old. <laughs> it's not too late. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's something that the answer to that question of like, how do we, 
help people get more people get to that place is like kind I feel is like the societal artistic thing that's kind of bubbling right now a lot of people are exploring these ideas of how are you just like makeup off I don't care this is who I am there's a really great show on HBO Max called Somebody Somewhere mm-hmm. um and it's just a look at this woman who feels like she doesn't fit in in her small town she realized that her small town is a full of a bunch of freaking weirdos that are so awesome and like if she would just give them the time of day you know um so I don't I think because everything in theater is taught from a casting perspective it's it's all about like how to get cast you're exactly right because like why do we have classes on monologues you're never going to do a monologue. You might I don't know, audition. do they still do that? Yeah, but I still contest that you can do a good monologue and be a terrible actor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like uh, like a a good mo- a good monologue does not an actor make. Like I don't know, like if that's right. Like if I said that correctly, but it's like where the the whole theater training is all it's like wear this to the auditions or like you're going to have people who it's like we're taught to like be so grateful if we get cast or we get you know and it's like but it's not about it shouldn't be about that it should be we're all playing and we all understand when it's our turn to tell the story like but unfortunately too much of it is monetized and glamorized and I mean I was listening to your um podcast interview with Annalise and talking about like breakdowns and they're like you have to have 20,000 followers to like submit for this thing and like how ridiculous it is and like maybe this is just the place that I'm at but I was like whew wow all those breakdowns are going right to the like delete box for me because it's like I am not interested in that like I'm not interested in creating those followers just to book a job like if that's what's important to them that's probably not the job that's going to be fun for me. That's maturation. And like understanding that I don't, I don't need it either. Like I don't need it to prove to anyone. Cause like the worst thing I want to do is take a job to just to like prove something to someone and I'm miserable the whole time because then like, I'm not making money and I'm like miserable. See, this is the chip on my shoulder though, of like, I like, if you, anyone who's listened to like any episode every, I need to get a, I need to get a new tune, honestly, because college was really, really rough on me. And I have the story in my head about college is really negative. Um, so I think that's like my, my master's thesis was on like why training programs are harmful. And, and a part of that, like that, um, I think you make a brilliant point, Austin, like some of this stuff is not the onus cannot only be put on these programs. It's, it's a systemic issue. And it is like how to be a human long before, um, we even arrive where we are, but, uh, Viola Davis, I need to read her book. Have you read it? So good. So good. Okay. I heard a blurb that was just like talking about how she, how she viewed educational theater and like, she's like, it's an education. This is where you should be learning. Like, this is where you should be learning how to act. This is how you should be learning how to play. This is how you should be learning this skill and this craft. If you, I kind of like throw up in my mouth a little bit of that word, but, but truly like this is where you should be learning that. And mm-hmm. you should be given 
as many opportunities to perform as possible. I mean, you read the whole book, but the clip was like, why aren't people getting to act in acting programs? And, and our program wasn't necessarily that intense about it. Um, you know, like there wasn't any, at, at least when I was there, there wasn't any sort of like freshman can't be in shows situation. Was there when? Yeah. I, I don't remember. But Not it, really. No. all of that to say, like, I know I am a broken record when it comes to training programs, but I think it's because it just like so deeply sucked the fun out of it for me. I was so in like the deepest parts of my depression in a way that like, I did not know how to see, I'd been medicated since I was 15. Like I did not know how to connect to people. And I also felt like number one, I didn't know how to connect to people in the community that I placed myself in was not one that, um, to use the word beget, like didn't necessarily beget connection because the industry is like, there's just a competitive quality to it, it, you know, that's kind of inherent and that's okay. But I just think like, would I have been better to have taken a year off or not gone to a theater school because of the mental space that I was in at the time? And how would that have served me differently or better if I started, you know, doing workshops at 25 instead Mm -hmm. Um, you can't go back, but if I could, I think I might do it differently. I think I might. Yeah, I think, I think like theater, theater training is so different for everyone. And I think for the most part, I don't think people are good at it. I, I think there are a lot of talented theater artists who are not good teachers. And I think that we need more good educators in theater because I think there is so much, I think theater needs to be taught much more as a experience, like a collective, like a, as a really collaborative group thing that happens, but no one wants to go, that's not a hireable skill immediately. You know, like if you're 30 and you can act like that and you have like a resume, like people will take you seriously, but like if you're 21 coming out of college and like you don't, you know, it's just, it's because of the monetiz- because of the capital- capitalism and the monetization of theater and education, like it's inherently a broken system. And I think- I wanna fix to- it. We can. <laughs> How? Oh, we don't have to know right now. Okay. Oh, I like that. That's easy. Yeah. And like, we just keep wanting to fix it and keep thinking about it and keep talking to people and keep bringing it up and do what, do like Maya Angelou, one of, one of my favorite quotes ever, like do the best you know to do until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. It's like, what I love about my plants is like, I wake up every day and all I can do for them is like, whatever it looks like they need today. It's like, does it look like it needs to be watered? Like most of the time, no, most of the time what it needs is nothing, you know? Um, but I think we're, I think there is a gen, uh, a generation of artists that we're seeing right now who are done with all of the bullshit. They're done with the putting in my dues, proving myself. They're done. They're, they're like, Oh, a lot of this actually is not even theater specific because it's all like capitalist and run by like these straight white men and the patriarchy and everything. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But even double so in an industry where 
your entire industry is based on other people liking you like you you know of them liking the way you look or the way you sound or whatever so like people holding the the keys to that as well um so it's a scary place to be but i i think we can embrace theater as like a tool for social change and realizing that it's not just about moulin rouge on tour you know it's like that's great for certain things but like there um do you know you know gusta boal mm -hmm. uh theater of the oppressed um nat taught that my senior year we did shakespeare and the teaching artist with that book and it like really just my one of my favorite classes i've ever taken i keep telling him and becky i'm like y'all need to teach that class again because it was so good i'm so jealous it was it was quite literally life-changing like it taught me to care about it taught me how to be an educator and it taught me about the power that theater has you were talking you were talking earlier too about uh full circle about like leaving like the theater industry and like being a sellout for taking like a non-theater job quote sellout right um so the idea that like theater really is i view as a, like a tool for like social change like it really sets the social barometer of us as like people you know it's like you look at going back and like watching like even how to get away with murder like season one and seeing some of the things they brought up and being like whoa like they brought that up like that's a really big deal kind of and like seeing how now it's even just like normalized you know mm -hmm. i'm thinking of specifically of things about like um lgbtq representation on in film and tv you know and how like Shonda Rhimes was really great about putting in like the storylines about like the gay guy who has HIV and but like also for the first time letting people who are watching that see what that actually looks like you know like what that's the humanity of that story right and so I think we we as artists have done a great job of like pushing the the social the social change right and with your whole idea of like changing the system from within like we need money too we have to fix some of these systems we need money yeah. we have to get a lot of people out of places but like we can't change stuff without power and power comes from community and in our society like money you know and we have the community and it's capitalism it I'm the amount of the amount of conversations i have where we do is like throw up our hands like ah yeah, this is why I love, like, this is why I love theater so much is because I don't quite know anything else that it's like, this is something that I, on one hand say, like, I want to do for free. I want to do cabaret with my friends and we're going to wear lingerie and it's just gonna be fun and stupid and fun. And then also being like, this is a huge way to initiate change for record keeping of our culture. Like all of these things that it does, um, the spectrum of theater is so beautiful. And I love it so much. And, and anytime that I go like, eh, maybe I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, something about it is just so the invisible string to quote Taylor Swift, you know, draws you, draws you back in, draws you back into it. Did you like when you were in Chicago or when you were in Alabama, did you ever think mm -hmm. like, maybe I won't go back. Maybe I won't do this. No, not for no. a second. You were like, I'm not in. for a second. What do you love yeah. about it? What I'm, what I'm coming to realize in my like personal life is like for a long time i was not in a place that allowed me to be who i am who allowed me to 
experience the emotions I was experiencing, let alone exploring them, you know, like, and I think something that was so addictive to me about performing at first, I've realized is that I didn't have to like cap those emotions when they came up because it was a good thing, you know, and I was able to go like emotionally do things that like I had kept myself from doing in my personal life. Right. So now I'm like working through a lot of that trauma and it's like, great. Like, and that's like, oh, maybe like performing is always just like re-traumatizing, mm. but maybe not. I don't know. I have it's, like, it's, also about, other... it's about performing it safely. <laughs> sure. But I think like, that's, I feel like I live in nuance. Um, so like when I say one hot take, I feel like on the, it's the Gemini me being like, well, that's not exactly what I believe or all of it. But I think that is, um, on one hand, I go like, it's not safe to feel all of those feelings through art. Um, and then on the other hand, and I think the stronger hand is going actually it, it sure at some point it might be unsafe, but it's actually like really quite beautiful because we have lived in a culture that has stifled that. So if you have a way to truly, it is safe, like it is safer for you to feel these emotions on stage than it is with your family or with your partner or whatever with your community or with your church or however you grew up. Like if it's safer for you to do that through performance or through dance or through singing, then do it, do it because we have, we have to, we have to. And it's all balance, right? It's like, I learned so much about my own mental health and my own life from playing characters. And like, when I learn new things about my own mental health, that like drive me, I'm like, dang, can I go back in like three years and play that character? Cause that would have changed everything if I had been like aware of this, you know? Um, would you do anything differently? Differently? Would you change anything? If there was a way I would go back and let myself have more fun. I don't know if there's a way that could have happened. Mm-hmm. I'm at a point where I can very luckily I can draw a line from uh my dad being diagnosed with MS when I was in second grade I can draw a line all the way from that through to like me sitting here talking to you today and I can see how everything came back and prepared me so to say like would I do it all again like yeah but like it wouldn't it wouldn't lead me you know, all the things, all the good things in my life haven't been from my own, the trajectory I've saw, you know, Um, but I've also, I think, done so much learning. I think everyone, everyone, I feel like you asked this question. They're like, they're like, yeah, I could have done things differently, but also like I learned so much and I don't know if I could have learned what I learned had I not gone through what I went through. Sure. I think we are, you're never, hopefully, you're never not going to learn something no matter what I, you go through. I think the thing I would have changed is I would have connected with artists, more mature artists quicker mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm finding, I'm finding like the days I don't want to get out of the house. I don't want to get off the couch. It's like when I'm in the lowest lows, I know the thing that always energizes me is like talking with a friend, yeah. like getting a cup of coffee. And it's like, even or even like this, you know, it's like that 
it's the coming back to the connection you know even when life is a mess even when the scene is tanking you know the improv scene you know if you just come back to that connection it's like you can it can get you through it and isn't that like and if you're doing an improv show even if it's a long form show you can't be worried about like scenes that have come up that are going to come because the things you're imagining aren't ever going to come up and if you're imagining things you're not paying attention for what's going to come up yes. so like all you need to do is be able to take care of yourself and take care of your partner and stay there and that's all life is like a, a, metaphors i've realized have been really powerful for me to like understand the world and so i had this other metaphor of like i feel like i like i'm in a canoe and i'm like surrounded by the people i love right there we're all in the canoes like like in the river of life and it's like there's constantly like the sound of rapids and I never know what's coming around the corner and I'm like constantly on high alert and like I gotta help my people and like all that right and like even when times get hard it's like all oh, the rough rapids and then at the end of it it's like okay I survived and then it's like looking back it's like oh well some people ride the rough rapids on purpose like some people take trips just to ride the rapids and some people take trips just to lazy river and it's like it all depends on what what it's not about actually what happens it's the intention going into it so it's like how can i realize life is going to have the lazy river moments and life is going to have the rapids moments and like you can't fight it like you can't fight what's happening so how do you stay connected with someone you know in your life and just like survive in that moment whatever it takes start a podcast talk to your friends love them exactly I, it's exactly. what you do I say often like I did not learn how to be a friend till I was like 26 years old and that feels so like if I could go back I think I think there there's a connectivity piece and like I said like I I we had some really incredible professors that I still like deeply respect and it was just it was just such a crunchy time um but maybe and and totally like if I hadn't gone there I would not be here um, in so many ways, but I, so maybe I wouldn't do that differently. I'll take it back. But what I would do is like, maybe I firmly believe that you are the sum of the people that you surround yourself with. Like mm. I really, I really do. And I think maybe I, um, would have, I wish I could have figured that out sooner, mm -hmm. but now I have figured out a little bit and, uh, we do better. Yeah, when you know better, do better. You know better, do better. Okay, Austin, we got to wrap up. Okay. Connection is the best part of theater. Yes, and. You can't connect if you're not present. Yes, and. Yes, and you uh, can't connect if you are so busy all the time. Yes, and life's not worth living just to be busy. Yes, and go play. Yes, and have fun. Yes, and have fun. Austin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I love, love you so you. much.